It's so good to see each and every one of you. Doing well, I hope. What a great joy it is to worship with you. We welcome each and every uh, one of you. It's funny how we say things in certain cultures, um, and when you think about them, you kind of go, what do we mean by that? Um, It's funny to me the terms that we use for clothes in our culture. Uh, For instance, you have things like your play clothes and your school clothes and your work clothes And this is my all-time favorite. In fact, I haven't heard it outside of this South culture that we live in. Church clothes. Church clothes. Um, But we've got that term, church clothes. Um, Our kids had never heard that term until we moved here, and people talked about putting on their church clothes. It's not a bad term. It's just one of those things that just kind of sticks out to you. It's a little bit funny. Well, it went to a whole other level for me this week. As uh, we were hanging out with my wife's mom and dad and family, and we were having a great time, and uh, he was talking about uh, the last couple of weeks that he has had and how he missed church last Sunday. He didn't make it to church, and he's got a friend at work that's a pastor, and the pastor said, hey, how was church Sunday? And my father-in-law said, oh, I didn't make it to church. And his pastor friend said, oh, well, why, why didn't you make it to church? He said, well... I got in my church truck. It's a truck he drives to church. He said, I got in my church truck, and the battery was dead. So I couldn't make it to church. But I got in my hunting truck, and it fired right up. So I didn't make it to church last week. So probably the people that would really appreciate that story on another level aren't here this morning. But thanks for getting in your church truck or your hunting truck or your whatever and coming to church this morning. We are really glad uh, to be with you. Well, we are wrapping up this series called Come Back. And as we invite you to come back to God this morning, I want you to know that God's arms are going to remain open wide long after this sermon is over. And just want you to see the gate is open wide for you, no matter where you have been, no matter where you are coming from, no matter what you have done. God wants you back. I want you to come back to God. You need to know that and you need to hear that it's not too late. You haven't gone too far. You haven't done too much for God to open his wide, loving, gracious arms and invite you back to him. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at Luke chapter 15. We're going to be looking there again today. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, you can go ahead and open there. We'll be looking at that in just a few moments. And as we've been looking at really what is one of the greatest stories ever told, uh, we've been looking at this story mostly known as the prodigal son. This son who decides to say to his dad, I don't want you anymore. I just want your stuff. He literally... Uh, is saying to his dad, I just want you dead. I just want the money that's coming my way. And we know him as the prodigal son, the son that left home, went his own way, and wasted everything that he had. And we looked at this younger son and how he went away from the father and how he made his return to the father. And then last week, we looked at the older son, the one who stayed home, the one who did what he was supposed to do. 
And we probably saw ourselves in one and or both of these brothers, depending on what kind of week we've had or what kind of season of life we're in right now. Whether we see ourselves like the younger brother that was just full of selfishness and said, I want it all for me and I'm going to do my own thing and I don't care what anybody else, including my father, thinks. And or we see ourselves in the older son who was self-righteous and thought he had earned the favor of his father, thought he had earned the love of his father, and that he deserved something from his father that nobody else, including the younger son, did not deserve. And today we want to spend a few minutes thinking about the other major person in this story, and that is the father, the father. So for a moment, I want to ask you this question, and I know that this question is going to conjure up a lot of thoughts in your mind. Some of them are going to be positive, depending on your background and your situation, and some of them are maybe going to be negative and really hard thoughts to think about. As you have this word come to mind, what comes to your mind as you think about the word father? Okay, what comes to your mind? What emotions and memories and pictures flood your mind as you think about this word father. Again, for some of you that takes you to a good place and for some of us that maybe takes us to a very, very hard place. Maybe that word father causes you to relax or maybe it causes you to tense up. Maybe it causes you to think about grace or maybe it causes you to think about judgment. Maybe it causes you to think about comfort Or maybe, just maybe, it makes you think about pain. Maybe it takes you to a safe place. Or maybe on the other end of things, it takes you to a dangerous place. Maybe when you hear the word father, you think about someone that was always there. Or maybe for you, you're thinking about someone that was never there. Maybe the word hero comes to mind, or maybe the word loser comes to mind. Maybe it's this idea of... When you hear the word father, you think about somebody who loves you more when you do good and loves you less when you do bad. All these pictures and all these ideas and all these images come to our minds when we think about this further. I want to shift the question just a little bit, but it so connects, and that is this next question. What comes to mind when you hear the word God? What comes to mind when you hear the word God? God. It's very, very likely that some of the same feelings and thoughts and emotions that you have well up in you when you hear the word Father are some of the same thoughts, pictures, and emotions that well up in you when you think about the word God. This word Father and this word God, they're they're not neutral terms. Nobody's like, eh, whatever, leave it or take it. You think about the word Father, things well up in you. You think about the word God, things well up in you. It's not a neutral kind of idea. As you think about what pictures you have and what images you have and what emotions you have and feelings you have, when you think about God, you're probably going back to some of the things that you have been taught in your past, especially if you grew up in and or around church. You've got these images that come to mind. I've told you so many times for me, I can't help it, but flannel graph comes to mind when I think about God. Those were my earliest memories, right? Went to Sunday school with my mom, and she put up the flannel graph there, and we talked about God. It's one of those images that I have about God, these things that we were taught. Now, here's the thing. Some of us were potentially taught truth about God, and it's possible that we actually, maybe, some of us were taught things that weren't true about God, and therefore those things that we were taught about God are helping us today or maybe actually 
hurting us today, depending on how we were taught, who we were taught by, and whether or not it was according to God's word. Maybe for you, as you think about the word of God, or you think about God, you think about, you think about how things maybe haven't played out the way, that, the way you hoped they would. In other words, you had this high expectation of God, and you saw life going this way, and for whatever reason, life has gone that way, and it causes you to have a very negative view of God. So maybe some of you have bad pictures and bad ideas about who God is. So what I want to do today is we look at Luke 15 and we look at the Father. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God, who is all-powerful, can replace some of the bad, negative, wrong images that you potentially have of God and that he can replace them with some healthy pictures of who Jesus says God our Father is. I want us to get a picture of the Father that Jesus knows. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is telling this story. And he is giving us insight into ourselves through the younger brother, through the older brother. But more importantly, he's giving us insight into God. Some of the um, other negative maybe images that some people have, and you might relate to these a little bit, regardless of how you were taught, some of these things get caught in our minds because of our natural way of thinking. Maybe for some of us, you've got this image of this angry cop. You know, he's there with a the radar gun waiting on us to go about two miles over so he can nail us, right? That's your, that's your idea of God. He's just waiting on me to mess up so that he can say, aha, I got you. And he can read us our rights and haul us in. Uh, maybe your image of God is more like just, just a, an old man. An old man, and therefore with the old man, he's kind of sweet, and he's kind of kind, but he's kind of over there. He's disconnected. Maybe he's living in a retirement home down in Florida playing shuffleboard, and he just doesn't understand what you're going through. He doesn't get you. He doesn't understand your culture anymore because he came from way back when. He's not relevant to anything that you have going with. You, you, you like him, and when you think about it, you give him a phone call and see how he's doing. Or when you need something, you give him a phone call, and you say, hey, can you help me out? But in your mind, he's just this old man that's far away and disconnected and doesn't get it. Maybe you look at him more like a cosmic, uh, a cosmic slot machine, you know? Like if you rub him just right and talk to him just right and put it in at just the right time, pull that lever, man, you can get out of there what you hope to get and win the jackpot. Because maybe, just maybe there's a chance that if everything works out just right, you might experience his blessings. Or maybe you think of him more like the talent show judge. I don't know if you ever did the talent show thing growing up. I don't know why we did this. And if you did this, I'm not like trying to give you bad images. But we did talent shows at church. I have no idea what they were thinking. It's a very bad image to leave church with. But you know what happens in talent shows? No matter how well you did, you know what the judge does? They tell you what you did wrong. They always point out what your flaws were. They always point out where you missed it. They always make you feel like trash no matter how well you did. And maybe some of you feel that way. You feel like God, with him, it's never enough and you never make him happy. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 15. Let's look at some pictures that Jesus gives us about the Father. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse number 11. We'll read verse 11 and verse number 12. Um, Jesus says, to illustrate the point for that Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. Okay, again, this is the younger brother, 
and the older brother that we've looked at the last couple of weeks. And if you missed either one of those, you can find those online or on our app, and you can listen in to the two viewpoints of those. Verse 12. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And again, this is just quite the outlandish, bold, daring, foolish thing for this younger son to say. But notice the response in the last part of verse 12. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. I have spent time wrestling with why in the world did the father agree to this terrible idea. First of all, he's being insulted to his core. His son says to him, I want you dead. I want my money now. And in turn, the father eventually finds himself agreeing to divide his wealth between his sons now. So why? Why did the father give this to his son in the story? Which made me finally come to another question. Why does God give me anything I ask for? Why does God ever tell me yes? Why does he ever say, okay, here it is? Why does God bless me with anything? Why does God bless you with anything? Well, I think there's several huge reasons as to why God does this. The biggest one is this. God is a giver. If you're taking notes, this is one of the things I want you to see about God this morning. God is a giver. He is generous. And he is very, very kind. It's just what he does. God is a giver. Why does God give me things? Why does God give you things? Because he's a giver. It's just who he is. It's part of his character. So there are some things that I have right now, some things that you have right now that we most definitely do not deserve. And God has chosen to give them to us. Why? Because he is good and because he is kind and because he is a giver. The other reason as we think about God being a giver and why he would give him these things and why he would say yes to his son and give him his inheritance then is because God is wise and God is sovereign. In other words, God knows everything. He doesn't just know everything about me and everything about you. He knows everything about them and everything about them. He knows what happened yesterday. He knows what's happening today. And he knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Parenting, right? We know a little bit more than our kids do, right? There's times that we say no and they don't understand. And we can't give them enough reasons because they can't comprehend it. And as parents, we're not all wise and we're not sovereign. We don't have it all figured out, but we got a little bit more figured out. But with God, he is completely wise and he is sovereign. And so when he gives us something out of his generosity and kindness, he knows how it's going to affect us. And sometimes God knows that giving us what we ask for, even though it's not what we need, it can ultimately get us where we need to get. Where do I need to get and where do you need to get? In the spiritual realm of things, as we think about things through the lens of God, where do we need to be? Where's the safe place for us? Where's the place that we all desperately need to be? In the arms of of God. And God sometimes says yes to you, and God sometimes says yes to me, knowing that the things that I get are going to get me into circumstances, and the circumstances are actually going to be the consequences that are going to lead me back to where I need to be, which is where? In my Father's arms. 
Do you think there was any conversation the father could have at that point with his son who said, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. Why don't you give me my inheritance? Do you think there was any conversation, anything the father could say to change his son's mind and to be able to wrap him up as father and son relationship again and just restore that relationship? No. He realized, you know what? I've got to give him what he's asking for, knowing that the circumstances that's going to land him in are going to be the consequences that are going to come that are going to eventually land him back where I so desperately want him to be, which is in the safety and the security and the love and the grace of my arms. So potentially, some of you have asked God for some really stupid stuff lately. I'm just saying, maybe you have. And God may say yes to you, knowing that the circumstances that's going to land you in are going to be the consequences that you need to get you back where you need to be and where we all desperately need to be, which is in the arms of God. So he gives this money to his youngest son. He goes out in just a flash. He spends it all. He's broke. He's empty. And he's alone. And he decides to do the smart thing, the wise thing. He hasn't been making these kind of decisions for a while and decides to go home to his father. Look at verse number 20. It says, so he returned home to his father. So this young man who was broke, he was empty, he was alone, went back to his father, had this whole spiel. Look what it says here. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The second thing I want you to see about God is that God is a giver and God is a runner. God is a runner. He is going to pursue you. When he sees you coming, God is going to see you and go after you. God is a runner. Thinking about this story and thinking about the context and thinking about this father who's waiting for his son to come home. You know, was he sitting on the porch every day? Was he looking for him? Maybe so. Very likely. Did he spend every waking minute doing it? I don't know. But here's what I know. When he, when he, when he came, he knew he was coming. He saw him and he ran after him. So I want to suggest this idea to you that they lived in a small town. Anybody ever grew up in a small town? You know what's about small town? Everybody knows what everybody's doing in a small town, right? Do you think everybody knew this younger son left? Absolutely. When he came home, do you think they saw him and smelled him? Yes, they did. I have this idea in my head that the father told all those beautiful little kids that were just out there playing at the edge of town and hanging out and having a good time, hey, when you see and when you smell my son coming, you let me know. Somebody tipped him off. And the father went running knowing that if he would make it to the city gate, that the city fathers, if you will, would have abused him. They would have roughed him up for all of his stupidity that he had done. And the father said, you know what? I want to take on that pain for you. I'm going and I'm getting you. I'm running after you. This young man went thinking I'm going to sit down and at the feet of my, my, my father and I'm going to kiss his feet. And instead, the father kissed his head, the very head that had been there in the pig pen. So the father is a runner. Look at verse 22. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Who? The son that had come home. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. God is a giver. God is a runner. And God is a restorer. 
God is a giver, God is a runner, and God is a restorer. Do you realize that no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you smell like, no matter what you have looked at, no matter what you have touched, no matter what you have consumed, no matter who you've been with, no matter how far you've gone, God's desire for you is to restore you as his child. When he brought him in and he said to his servants, get the robe and get the ring and get the shoes, he is making it plain to anyone and everyone that this is my son and he will be treated as such. To put a robe on him, to put a ring on him, and to put shoes on him is to say, he is not one of my slaves, he is my child. And he restores him into that relationship. This is the grace of God. This is God saying the gate is swung open wide. Yeah, I heard your spill. Thank you for for your repentant spirit, which we all should come to God with. But you don't have to earn your way back in. I'm going to give you grace, and I'm going to restore you back to being my son. Now, if you recall, there were some people listening to this story as Jesus was telling it. Some of them were messed up people that had done all kinds of foolish things, and they were finding hope in this story. And they were finding a, a, a level of grace that they never heard before. There was also a group of people that were the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law who were hearing this story, who would have just outright told Jesus, you've gone too far at this point. Because at this point, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, would have said, he broke the law, he went away from you, he treated the Father like trash, this is that moment that he needs a tongue lashing, right? This is that moment that the belt needs to come off, right? And yet Jesus, telling us this story that gives us a glimpse into who his father is, says, no, he's a restorer. Listen, the moment that that young boy was in the pig pen, he was feeling the weight and bearing the brunt of the consequences of all of his choices and the circumstances that it had landed in. And God was no longer ready to hand out consequences to this young man. He was ready to hand out grace to him. The gate was open wide. God is a restorer. I don't know who said it. It's been floating around on social media, but I'm going to give it to you on the screen, and that is this, talking of God. He's an I-don't-care-how-far-you've-run-just-come-home kind of God. And if you've ever taken one step off the path towards God, away from him, that statement causes you to rejoice. Amen? He's an I-don't-care-how-far-you've-gone-how-far-you've-run-just-come-home kind of God. Again, this robe and this ring and these shoes, they were all signs of sonship, relationship, the father and the child. This is what God wants for you. He wants restoration because what God wants is relationship with you. Let me give you some scripture that will hopefully help paint a better picture of God than maybe, maybe what you have. Especially if you think you've done too much or you've gone too far. Look at Psalm 148, uh, excuse me, Psalm 145 and verse number 8. It says, the Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. This is what the Word of God says about God, that He is merciful 
and compassionate, that he's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Well, how do you know that he's slow to get angry? We're all still here. I've told you before, man, if I were God, I'd have wiped everybody out a long time ago, right? I mean, I'm imperfect and I expect more, right? I mean, come on. And yet God is so merciful and so compassionate, so slow to get angry, has every right to be angry. He's righteous. Any judgment that he brings is righteous. And he says, you know what? I'm holding off on that because I want to restore you. I want relationship with you. I don't want to destroy you. That's not my heart. My heart is to give you mercy. My heart is to give you compassion. My heart is to give you grace. He's slow to anger and he's quick, quick to forgive. Now, as we read that, I want to remind you that just because God is slow to anger, doesn't mean you should be slow to repentance. Okay? Because God is full of love and full of mercy, you should be quick to repent. Quick to repent so that you can experience his forgiveness. Look now to Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse number 11. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, the guy who knows everything, the one who sees everything, the one who's got it all figured out. I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. Now, for some of you, that messes up your image of God, right? For some of you, when a bad person goes down, you think, huh, and God's happy. God's not happy about it. Even if they carry the name of ISIS, God does not celebrate the death of the wicked. It breaks his heart. You've got to be reminded that when God sent his son to die, he didn't just send his son to die for the good people or for the Americans. He sent Jesus to die for everyone. And he wants everyone, no matter how far they've gone, no matter what they've done, no matter what title they bear, he wants them to experience grace. He doesn't take pleasure in the death of wicked people. Here's what it goes on to say. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. And listen to what he says. Turn. Turn from your wickedness. O people of Israel, why should you die? What a question at the end. He reminds us of his heart, which is for everyone. He reminds us of his grace, which is for everyone. He says, turn and live, turn and live. And then he poses this question, why should you die? Why would you choose death when life is available in Jesus Christ? Why would you choose death when there is a new way of living that God has offered to each and every one of us? Look now, Luke 15 again, verse 23 and verse 24. I want you to see one more, uh, a couple more huge things about God. Luke 15, beginning verse 23, speaking to his servants, he says, kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate. He's not like, I think we should celebrate, or we might celebrate, or we might throw a party. I made a mistake this week. I gave my wife a gift, and it's a gift that's going to come. And there's some details that are being worked out on it. And it's a good gift, right? Okay, it's a good gift. But in my telling her about the gift that she opened that kind of told her what it was, I kind of didn't word it very well, and I made it kind of sound like it might not happen. And I couldn't understand why she wasn't excited about this amazing gift I was giving her, but what she heard from me was it may not happen. 
You with me? She didn't want to get all worked up about something that might not happen. This man says, you know what? I'm the father. We're not going to think about celebrating. What date will work? Will the 31st work? Will the 2nd work? Oh, we got that going on. Oh, we can't do it then. No, he's like, we must celebrate. Cancel everything else. We're celebrating. God is a party thrower. Look at what it goes on to say there in verse 24. For the son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. God is a giver. God is a runner. God is a restorer. And God is a party thrower. Some of you that teach English are freaking out right now, but this is good stuff. It's good stuff. Look in the same chapter, back to verse number 7, Luke 15, verse 7. Jesus told three stories on that day. One was about a shepherd and some lost sheep, a lady and a lost coin, and this father and a lost son. In the shepherd and lost sheep story, look at verse 15, chapter 15, verse 7. He said, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. I'm going to read that one more time because depending on where you're at in life right now and where you are with God right now, that may land differently for you. But I want to read it again. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. I want you to see this quote now by a guy named Hart Ramsey. He says this, Jesus leaving the 99 to find the one seems irrational and senseless until that one is you. God's a party thrower. He celebrates when people turn back to him in repentance. He celebrates. Guess what the other 99 should do? Join in the celebration. We should act like God, right? We, we should celebrate all of heaven is having a party. If heaven's having a party, what should the church do? H- have a party. Here in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a baptism celebration at our church. And I'm just going to go ahead and prime you, church, let you know it's going to be a day of celebration. It's going to be young and older people telling the world that they have turned to God, that he's forgiven them of their sin, and they are now a child of his, and they're ready to follow him. It's their public way of saying, I've returned home. I came back. What are we going to do, church? We are going to Celebrate. Yeah, you can go ahead and practice a little bit if you want to right now. Like, I don't know if that means hoot, holler, clap. I don't know what that means for you. But, like, go ahead and practice a celebration just a little bit because it's going to happen, and it's going to be really good, and we're going to celebrate what God celebrates. We're going to celebrate what God celebrates. And maybe you're far away from God right now. Let me tell you what this church wants to do. We want to celebrate that you've come home to God. We want to celebrate We want to see you coming through the city gate, and we want to bring you in. We want to put a robe on you. We want to put shoes on you and a ring on your finger and and saying, God sees you as his child because you've repented, and we see you as his child. That's what the Father does. He restores us, and when we are restored, he celebrates. You see, God realizes that we're talking about big stuff right here. We're talking about death and life. Guess what most of us find ourselves 
spending our time talking about with just such seriousness and intensity. Things like politics. All right, we got an election coming up. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm not saying it's not important. We've got some politicians in this room who I am thankful for, grateful for. I appreciate their heart and their passion, how they seek God's will and what they do through politics. But if we're not careful, as a church, we reduce ourselves to a lower level of accomplishment in this world to politics when we're supposed to be about something greater, which is called the kingdom of God, and we're supposed to be talking about things like life and death. Okay? There's a lot of other things we can get distracted by. Some of you, you get consumed with sports, and I get fired up about them too, and I love to have conversations about them. And the next thing you know, we're spending all of our energy arguing about who we think ought to be in the four playoff spots than we are about who is dead and who is alive in Christ. We've got neighbors and we've got friends and we've got family members and we've got people we work with who if they die today, they're going to be separated from God forever in hell and we're concerned about politics and sports. And I'm not going to keep going because I'll really begin to meddle if I continue to tell you the things that I think we get consumed with talking about today that really don't matter. When God looks at us, he's like, are they dead or are they alive? Are they going to spend eternity with me or are they going to spend eternity separated from me? That's what he looks at. And when he saw his, his boy come back, he said, man, this one that was dead came to life. It's a matter of life and death. It's not about good and bad. It's about life and death. It's about here in this life and the next life, the life that we can live. Some of you are on the verge of making decisions. Listen to me. Some of you are on the verge of making decisions that will kill. Life and death, that will kill. Some of you are on the verge of making decisions that will kill your relationship. Some of you are on the verge of making decisions that if you decide to make it, the consequence and the end result of it's going to be killing your family. Some of you are on the verge of making decisions that's going to kill your job. Some of you are on the verge of making decisions that will kill your character. Some of you are on the verge of making decisions that if you keep making them, you're literally going to find yourself physically dying from the decisions that you've made. God looks at you and he sees death and he sees life. And if you are making decisions that are killing you, he doesn't want that for anymore. He wants repentance and he wants return. He wants restoration. He wants to throw a party. He wants you to be his child. He wants you to be safe. He wants you to be with him. Some of you are on the verge of making decisions that will bring joy and peace and healing and restoration. This is what God wants for you. Now, let me just go ahead and mess you up just a little bit. What I've found in life is that it's actually easier in the natural sense of doing things. It's easier to make decisions that kill things than it is to make decisions that bring life. So some of you are facing some hard decisions right now. Now, when you think about it in the matter of life and death, it ought to be easy. That's the reason why I'm trying to make you think this way. But when you get all muddied up and you think about your happiness and your satisfaction and what you like and what you want, it starts getting really muddied up, and the next thing you know, you're making decisions that kill things. But you've got to understand, these are life and death decisions that you're potentially making in your life. And God wants you to make those decisions that are going to bring about healing and restoration. Some of you are on the verge you're on the verge of making a decision of faith 
that will bring about in your life forgiveness, restoration, righteousness, forever in heaven rather than forever in hell. And oh, how we, the church, and oh, how God, your Father, and all of heaven want you to make the decision of faith that will bring about forgiveness, that will bring about righteousness, that will bring about forever with him. Make that decision today. Place your faith in Christ Jesus today. God will celebrate. And what are we going to do, church? All right, 42 of you are ready. God's a giver. God's a runner. God's a restorer. God's a party thrower. And God's a good father who loves you and wants you to come back. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, he wants you back. I want to show you just a couple more verses of Scripture that make this possible and that make this plain. Look at John chapter 1 and verse number 12. John chapter 1 and verse number 12. And if you don't know much about the Bible, the New Testament, and the Gospels, you've got Matthew, you've got Mark, you've got Luke, which we've been reading, and then you've got John. And the Gospels are all stories of the good news. And John chapter 1 is all about God sending Jesus for us. In verse 12, It says, but to all who believed him, meaning Jesus, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he, the Father, gave the right to become children of God. So how do I become a child of God? Well, I go to church and I start acting better and I probably do that baptism thing because people will clap for me and it'll look really good on my resume spiritually. I'll probably start dropping something in besides the communication card when the bucket comes around. And man, I'll probably, you know, show up at Trunk or Treat tonight and serve a little bit. And people are start thinking I'm pretty good and this is going to work and God's going to start thinking I'm good. And next thing you know, I'm like a child of God. Not how it works at all. Not how it works at all. For those who have believed in him and accepted him, Jesus. What did Jesus do for you that you believe in and that you accept? He is God who left heaven and lived here on this earth and did it differently than every single other person that's ever lived. He did it perfectly. And in his perfection, he chooses to allow himself to be crucified, to be sacrificed for the sins of all mankind, mine, yours, and the worst people you can think of. And he took that pain upon him and that suffering upon him. He died there on the cross. They put him in a grave because he was really dead. And then he came back from the dead because he was really alive and he's alive today. And when you believe in that and you accept that and you experience the forgiveness of sins, guess what? You become a child of God. You become a child of God. We want this for you. If I want to write this down, uh, it's kind of rough in wording. You can make it better. But here, let me, let me just give you a, a working definition of Jesus, okay? It's not on the screen. Jesus is God seeing you at your worst and sending his best. Jesus is God seeing you at your worst and sending his best. If you believe him and receive him, God gives you the right to become his child. God sends Jesus who is righteous for those of us who are unrighteous. One more verse, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. It's over towards the end of the word of God. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. See how very much very much our father loves us. For he calls us 
his children. That is what we are. Now, if that's who I am, how should I act? Like a child of God, right? Well, who is God? Well, we've learned today that God is um, He's a giver. God's a runner. God's a restorer. Uh, God's a party thrower. And God is a God, a good, good Father who loves His children and wants them to be close to Him. The gate is open wide. And here's the deal. I don't have the authority to open this gate, and I don't have the authority to close this gate. Neither does any other human being. God is the one that opens it, and God's the one that closes it. And for now, in God's goodness and God's grace, the gate is open wide for you. We invite you to come in the same way we did, through faith in Jesus Christ, experience being a child of God, and we will celebrate with you, and we will learn to live like Jesus as he works in and through our lives. Come back to God. No matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done, come back to God. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to pray. band's going to begin coming up right now and getting ready. They're going to play a song in just a few moments, and it's going to be an opportunity for you to respond to God. Maybe you're hearing this message about Jesus, and you're hearing this message about His grace, and you're hearing this message about this open gate, and he's inviting you to come back, and you want to come back. We want you to experience Jesus today. Myself and others will be up here. We can pray with you and point you to Jesus. We want you to experience him today. We want you to be restored. We want you to be a child of God today. Another way that you can respond um, is during this song, we'll also be passing the buckets, and you can give. Man, this church is so generous. God's a giver, right? That's who he is. So when you give, guess who you're acting like? Your father. Your father. Thank you for your generosity. It allows us to do what we do. It allows us to serve. It allows us to go. It allows us to help churches in Boston, Massachusetts get planted that you saw a picture of early, earlier. We invite you to give. If it's your first time here, uh, we don't want you to miss Jesus. It's our heart for you. We want you to experience him. We want you to know him. We want you to follow him. If you filled out a communication card this morning, drop it in because we want to connect with you because ultimately we want to connect with you because our heart's desire, our plan, everything revealed, nothing hidden, we want to connect you with Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want to connect you with Jesus. I invite you to stand. I'll pray, and then we'll respond.